0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. We started by talking about Naomi's family and the Book of Ruth. Even though it's called the Book of Ruth, it starts... With Naomi and her family and uh Naomi and her family they they come across hard times they head out to go to leave Bethlehem and go to an area called Moab and Naomi is kind of just like us all right if you think of your average you know God-fearing God-loving Christian person uh who when hard times come and you have rough decisions to make sometimes you make good ones sometimes you make bad ones uh but she's just like us. She gets angry, and whenever you don't have to raise your hand, got angry at God because something may not have gone your way. She gets hurt. Uh, She deals with a lot of pain because as this story progresses, she experiences a lot of pain in her life. Uh, She loses her husband. She loses both of her sons, which is all of her children. They're the only two she has, and it's not even in an area where her extended family can come and support her. She's far away from home, right? She's just like us. Now, her, her husband and her two sons, uh, they're kind of important to the story, too, but they're like they're, they die early on in this story. Anyone ever watch Star Trek, all right? You know the red shirts? They're the first guys to go, all right? And for those of you who don't watch Star Trek, if you ever watch CSI or NCIS, you know the, the person who dies in the first 30 seconds that they spend the rest of the story investigating, that that's what happens with Naomi's husband and her two sons. in the in the very early like first couple of verses, they're gone. I mean, it's not a good thing, but 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 they're gone. And so then Naomi, um, starts interacting with Ruth, her her two. She has Ruth and Orpa, who are her two daughters in law, and she interacts with them. and And Ruth is kind of, she's kind of like most of our friends. If you are a Christ follower and you have friends that aren't, because um, Ruth is kind of like, uh, for her, religion's kind of up in the air. She's in a culture that is opposed to God, so she may not know who God is. And if you've ever had a conversation with any of your friends about who God is, it's kind of hard to explain. But later on, she makes a profession of faith to say, Naomi, you know, I'm going to go wherever you go. Because Naomi says, all right, my kids are gone, you know, there's food now available in Bethlehem, and I'm going to head back there. And they, her two daughters-in-law say, where well, we're going to go. And she says, no, don't bother. And Orpah says, okay, one of them heads off. But Ruth says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go, and I'm going to follow your God. And the only way that Ruth could have heard about Naomi's God is through Naomi. Now, she may have heard about it through Naomi's son, who was her husband, but the only reason it was still instilled in him is through Naomi. And sometimes, like, we give Ruth a bad name because, you know, she's she comes from a people that are opposed to God. But like most of our friends who don't think that God exists, they don't think they're doing anything wrong. And from their perspective, they're not. They're in a culture that says, hey, don't worry about those Christ followers. They're a little weird. You know, they got weird music. Uh, they put weird stuff on their Facebook and praying dogs and praying cats and all this kind of stuff. So... They just, you know, don't understand the passion that we would have for a God who loves us that much. So Ruth is kind of seeking. She kind of thinks, well, I don't know much about this God, but from what I hear from you, wow, your God is powerful. I mean, for her to leave everything, she leaves her family. We don't know what that consists of. She leaves her friends. We don't know what that consists of. But she leaves everything behind to say, hey, I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to commit myself to not just being with you, but to this unknown God that you've been telling me about. And they both head back to Israel, specifically Bethlehem. And and and, in Israel and Bethlehem, it's kind of like the church, if you put this whole story in today's context. They're coming back. Think of it this way. Naomi has been away from the church. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. I have. Off doing my own thing doing some things I know God probably wouldn't be proud of. Definitely wouldn't. All right, he wasn't. Um, Let me just be honest, he wasn't. But then you come to the realization that, you know what, God is providing. God is still there. God is loving him. Whatever, for whatever reason, you come back. And I don't know about you, but when that first time of walking back into a church environment, it's kind of brutal because for some reason you're thinking everyone knows what I've been doing while I was away. Everyone knows that I haven't been, you know, off on a mission trip somewhere, haven't been like the, the guy opening his Bible every morning and praying, and it can be really intense to walk into a church environment where people are, instead of being welcoming and loving and receiving, they're being critical and judgmental and protective of this is how we do things here. So if you're going to come through our doors, you've got to fit into this mold or we will not accept you. Now, that's not what happens to um, uh, Ruth and Naomi. Naomi comes back, and even though she comes back, but she's still a little jaded from her experience, everyone is extremely welcoming to her. I mean, they're like, oh, Naomi welcome back it's so good to see you and we're we're glad you're here and if you can imagine i don't know if you guys have ever done this because some of you have grown up in the church you know you've been going since you were a kid because your parents were christians or whatever uh, but if you've ever anyone ever walked into a church for the first time by yourself okay it's intense it's intense it can be extremely extremely uh dis- Stressing. And in most cases, and I'm I'm not saying this just because it's true statistically, uh, I'm saying this because I've seen it done. The most comforting and engaging way for someone to walk into a church environment for the first time, whether it be on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, whatever, is on the arm of someone else with a friend. Someone who comes up and says, Hey, I, I want you to come along with me. And when that happens, those people tend to stay not just in the church, but they tend to stay in a relationship with God and be more open to hearing from God than the person who is sitting in the back by themselves wondering, I wonder what these people are thinking about me. I don't even know where this book is, so they just close the Bible because the, the language and everything that's being spoken is foreign to them. And for, for the adults, it's a little bit easier because we're kind of trained, so we, we try to focus and we we try to, pay attention because that's what we think we're supposed to do. For the young adults, we try to focus, and then if we don't, out comes the phone and we just do something else. And for the youth and the teens, there isn't even an attempt, okay? They just sit here and say, what can we do now? Because this is boring to me. So here's, here's something I want to show you. I want to show you a video because it talks about how important it is to not let, and here's the thing, I don't think, this is my opinion, this is, Not in the Bible, but this is my opinion. I don't think any, any uh, like non-Christian, never been in a church before person should ever have to walk into the church alone. Especially if there are people who know God in their circle of influence. But take a look at this video. All right, seriously, it is, it is, I can't even stress um, how important it is. And it's not about expanding the size of the congregation. We've said that over and over. But literally, souls are at stake. People's eternal destinies are at stake. In some cases, it's just people who are going through things and don't know where else to turn. And here's this awesome God that we could share with them who has answers for them. And it's just a matter of being able to go out and invite someone to walk in their church. But now, Naomi and Ruth, in their situation, they've known each other for like 10 years. You know, that's how long um, they were married to uh, Naomi's children, or Ruth and Orpah were married. And when she makes her profession of faith, about I'm going to follow you and your God, it's only because someone, whether it was initially Naomi, whether it was Elimelech, whether it was uh, their son that was married to her, someone decided to say, let me tell you about this God. That's the only way she knew that there was a God who Naomi followed. So, if you have a Bible, open it up to the Book of Ruth, chapter four, and we are taking it off at the point where they have already come back. They're in Bethlehem. Uh, they've met a man by the name of Boaz, and Naomi—excuse uh, me—Naomi had told Ruth, "Hey, we got to do something about our food situation. We have absolutely." positively nothing, all right, we're, we're just, we have nothing, and so Ruth says, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to glean in, in the field, let me hopefully find a field, and we talked about last week how there was this parenthetical statement in chapter three that said, there was a near kinsman, a kinsman redeemer, who was a relative named Boaz, and then the next verse said, she just happened to say, I'm going to go out and find any field I can and she just happened to be in the field of their kinsman-redeemer relative. And she began to glean there, and that's how they provided food. But in chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman-redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. Now, before I go on, this is, this is what happens. He, he takes uh, the, the, the closest relative, because now they've got no, no money, but Naomi had this land that they owned that they left when they went to Moab, and it's been sitting, and now she's going to sell it to try to make some money to get her life back on track. And Boaz is a near relative, and, and the best that I can, can put it is like, it's the difference between a first cousin and a, like, fourth cousin twice removed. And there is a near cousin who can say, hey, I can redeem this land so I can take care of the taxes. I can do all that stuff. And, and, and this is what Boaz says. He says he gets witnesses and he gets the, the near relative. And he says, here's the situation. I don't know if you know this, but someone needs to take this land so it doesn't get taken away. Right, I mean, and we can we can attest with that because we don't want you know someone to come in and take the government to come in and take take property and say all right, no one's doing anything with it. We're going to claim it. He says you can claim it so that in her family line it stays in the family, and he says if you're willing to do that in front of these witnesses, the elders of the city, uh, go ahead and take charge of that. And he says I can do that, but then he goes on. And he says, verse five. Then Boaz said. On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. And here's what happens. The guy says, Sure, I'll take the land. I don't have a problem with that. And he says, well, there's, there's a catch to that because along with the land, what about the widow? I mean, you can't just take the land and leave his wife out in the dark and think that you're maintaining honor and family, honor and the family name. You've got to make sure she's taken care of as well. And he says, I, I can't do that because that's going to put my own household at risk. And sometimes people look at him and say, well, you know, that's kind of foul of him, but he might have had a wife four kids, two in college, one just getting a car, triple the insurance, you know, all this stuff going on. And he's like, whoa, whoa, I can I can take on getting the land, paying taxes and doing all that stuff and doing that, but I can't take on a consistent mouth to feed. That means that someone else I got to deal with and I don't know what issues they may have. It's just, it's going to put me in a worse position and it's not going to help them. And here's, here's, before we go on, Uh, Let me say this. This is what this whole story is about. The whole story is all leading up to this act of redemption. This act where someone steps in and says, hey, there's a situation and it needs to be fixed. It needs to be made right. Two people either need to be reconciled or something needs to be taken care of. And the whole story is leading up to this point. This is like the most powerful point in the story this is like the aha moment and in order to get it let me just step back a little bit and kind of make sure we understand what redemption means now in other versions of of the bible they don't use the phrase kinsman redeemer some just say kinsman some say redeemer in other places uh it just says redeemer and um think about it this way uh if you've read through the book of job all right, when job was suffering When he had lost all of his family and and he had gone through um, losing all of his children. He had lost everything he owned, kind of similar to Ruth's story. He still had his spouse, but he lost his children. Uh, He lost stock market crash, zero. Lost all of his food, lost his home, lost everything he had. And then came down with a debilitating, what I can only call the worst probably case of skin cancer you can imagine. That was like where he sat at a garbage dump and picked up jagged pieces of like pottery to scrape the scabs off of his skin. This, this is what the Bible says. Go read the book of Job. He, he did all that. And then he makes this statement that helps us understand what the Redeemer is. Um, I'm going to put it up here. In the book of Job chapter 19, as he's going through all that, and his friends have come to encourage him and pray for him, and they start, you know, why, here's why you're going through this. Here's why you're suffering. You didn't pray enough. You didn't give money enough. You didn't do something enough. You angered God. And here's what he says. He says when they bring that to him, his response is, I know that my Redeemer lives. He tells them that I know that there is someone who is going to make this right for me. And he doesn't say, like, we tend to think, and this is the, the, the power of why I think if you read the beginning of the book of Job, it says that Job was a righteous man in God's sight. Because he's not saying, I'm looking forward to the cross and there's going to come a redeemer. He says, right now, today, there is a redeemer, someone who can make this right in my life. And he's alive today. And he says, in the end, now he's looking to the future, he, that redeemer, Will stand upon the earth. And this is another powerful statement. He says, And after my skin has been destroyed, and that's a phraseology he's using to his current condition, basically saying, After my skin and my body are dead, after it's all been destroyed, after I'm dead and gone, long dead and gone, he says, Yet, even though I'm dead, in my flesh, I will see God. So even though he's saying, even though I have died, even though I'm done, I will stand alive in the presence of God. He said, I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. And that's a reference to a Near Eastern thing that was like, hey, if you die and you're not in right standing with this God, then I can interact and pray for you. And when I get up and stand in front of this God, I can can do a sales pitch for, it's kind of like, and I know you guys don't do this because you guys don't, you know, go to the club. But when I used to go to the club, I didn't get in that often. So I always took a pretty girl with me because I knew she would get in. And then she could say, what about my friend? And you guys will all look good because that means you don't have it. Or maybe you were the pretty ones and you got in. Okay. But when, when he, the, the person gets up there and they're in the presence of God, they can look back and say, what about him that didn't get in? But he's saying, it's me. I'm going to do it. No one else is going to have to do it for me. I will be in God's presence. And he says, how my heart yearns within me. He looked forward to and was excited about and was passionate about standing in the presence of God. Now, the word that's used there for redeemer, it literally means someone who is going to avenge or someone who's going to pay off a debt. Or someone who is going to, uh, uh, the best way to summarize it is someone who is going to take care of whatever is separating me from this or separating me from a person. And uh, if you think of, um, I, I know it's different here because a- anyone ever been to a pawn shop? Like I go there looking for stuff because people give stuff away. So I try to get stuff cheap. And it, uh, sadly, it's not like it is on Pawn Stars. Okay? The pawn shops that I walk into, there's not a guy who's giving me a history lesson on the item. He's not like a college history professor who just happens to be selling watches, diamonds, and whatever, right? It's usually a guy saying, what do you want? And that's about it. That's about the extent of his knowledge. But um, if you go into a pawn shop, if you've ever been there, you give them your item. They give you whatever they think is appropriate cash for it. You can come back, and if you have a ticket, you can redeem the item. And if you don't have cash, someone else can come in and redeem that item. Whether or not they give it to you is up to them because now that they've redeemed it, they have authority of it. If you ever had your car impounded, I told you I've had my hoop towed away because I just didn't have the money to keep making the payments. And if you do get the money, you can go back and, and pay and get it out of the impound lot or you could have someone else come and pay for you to get it out of the impound lot. And then, But if they come and redeem it, they pay the price for it, then they have full authority over it. So they get to determine what to do with it. And this is, this is what happens because uh, in this picture, just like we said, Naomi is kind of like a type of us, you know, the, the churchgoer who sometimes make a decisions, sometimes makes bad, and life just kind of urges them one way or another. And Ruth is kind of like the non-Christian who's kind of seeking. And I know there's something about God, but through Naomi, she comes to make this profession of faith in God. And Israel is kind of like this type of church, this environment where we want those that don't know God to be able to come in and feel welcome and also experience God. And Boaz is this kind of like a type of Christ. He's, he's, uh, the Bible calls him, uses the phrase a shadow. Like when you think of a shadow, it's kind of like behind you. You can barely see it. It's a shape but it's a shape of something that has substance. And so he's like this shadow of Jesus Christ because when you look at him, he steps in and he says, I'm going to redeem. I'm going to take on the responsibility of not just the financial, the whole, the financial and the widow. I'm going to step in. I'm going to redeem and take it all on. And that's what Christ did for us. And through him, through his action, not only does he redeem the land, But he's able to redeem and restore the name of Naomi, and that's the person. He's able to restore her name to a point where she is now no longer this outcast, no longer has nothing. She has something. But he's also able to restore an entire people group. Because let me show you this. We had talked about it in week one. I'm going to put this up here. In the book of Deuteronomy, this is what God said about the Moabites. And Ruth was, this is, the, the, this is who Ruth was. She was a Moabitist or she was of the Moabite. No Ammonite, this is God, revealing this to the people of Israel. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation. And the 10th generation doesn't mean we hit the ninth generation. Whoa, the next generation gets in. It means pretty much just no one. And that's why he said any of his descendants, for they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Bethor, from Pethor, in Aram Naharaim, to pronounce a curse on you. So he said the, these people were opposed to not just God, but they were opposed to the things of God. They were opposed to the people of God. So think of it this way. The people in our circle of influences... They don't just not like us. They don't like the churches we go to. They don't like the cat pictures and praying stuff, which I don't like the cat pictures either. But they don't like the stuff we put on your Facebook about God and Jesus. They don't like uh, the fact that when, you know, if you give them a ride or whenever they come to your house or whatever, there's some praise song going on. They don't like the fact when they put something on their Facebook that says, hey, I just lost my job or I'm going through something, and you respond with, I will pray for you. And they don't want to hear that because that means nothing to them. It doesn't. It means nothing to them. And so they're the people that look and say, hey, I don't, I don't want anything to do with you or your God. I have my own religion, my own belief, my own way of doing things. But here's, what, here's the reality. This is the thing we gotta, we got to get. Through Boaz and his one act of redemption, that entire Moabite people were now redeemed. Because when he married Ruth, who was a Moabitess, now whenever he went, because he was a god fearing person, and she had already made this profession of faith to God, now whenever he went into the temple, she was allowed to go with him. And it wasn't that she was now like, hey, you're just suddenly wiped clean. But because he was already considered righteous in God's eyes to go into the temple, she went under his authority. And since he had done the redemption, she couldn't go in on her own, but she's with me. So when he went in, now as his wife, she could go in. Now because she was a Moabitess, or from these people, who God said never let them in, God was now able to let in, not only let in Moabite people, but he was uh, able to just redeem an entire people group who just like her, if they had stood up and said, hey, I want to know this God too, then, then the way was made where he could say come. And it's hard for us to imagine, but God uses our circumstances and in the midst of them, we don't think about it. When she left Even though God allowed this famine to occur, Naomi wasn't thinking God's going to use this to do something good. But God used it, and he allowed them. He could have stopped them. He could have sent people to say, hey, you guys aren't supposed to go to Moab because you're not supposed to. But he used that to allow them to live there and allow their children to marry Moabite women. And he used their connection with these Moabite women to allow them to come back to Bethlehem. And he used Boaz to redeem not just a people, but an entire people group. And through that entire people group, because we know that they went on, and she was the grandmother or great grandmother of King David, and King David was through his line came Jesus Christ. And it's 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 imperative because uh, we often tend to think in time in terms of. What's happening right here, right now? Like, we'll look around the room and say, yeah, we'll, we'll pray for, you know, what church, like we said earlier, all of these congregations and churches in Jefferson Hills, let's pray for them. And we'll look around the room and say, yeah, I'll pray for them right here, right now. And we don't think about tomorrow or the day after. We don't think about whoever kids are going to be riding the school bus. We don't think of any other ways that we can engage and pray for and, and, and reach those people for God. Now, I want to share something with you quickly. Um, I'm going to ask the tech team to come up here for a minute. Team, that means both of you. Because we tend to think, up here, up here. we tend. Actually, stay down there. That's good. That's good. We tend to think that, when, we, when it comes to, can you stand over here for a minute? When it comes to how can we reach people, we immediately think that means I've got to go beat someone over the head with a Bible. Or I've got to go try to figure out how am I going to share this verse or memorize this verse or do this or do that. And, you know, there, there you guys heard that saying, think outside the box. And in my mindset, I'm thinking just do away with the box and just go wide open. So um, I purchased these shirts for these guys. And I did it out of my money. I didn't I didn't do it with you guys' money. Uh, turn around. And on the back of these shirts, I'm gonna have to read over because I don't remember what it says. For example, at the top, here's what here's why I did this, because I want when because these guys are here every Sunday, and the youth are the hardest to reach for Christ. Like I said, when they come in and sitting here, they're like, okay, about a sentence and a half into your message, I was gone. But when they go out and leave here, there may be something that they're able to talk about. There may be something that they're able to share. There may not be. But I guarantee you, someone will probably ask them. That's why we end up doing all these kind of shirts. What's on your shirt? What are you wearing? Or what's on your phone? Or what are you listening to? And so at the top, it says, in this case, the real Trim Bear. That's his Twitter name. I did not pick that. And over here, the notorious NIC. Which we're trying to get that as Twitter name because for some reason it's not working. All right, and and for you guys who don't know what Twitter is, I guarantee you their friends do, and when they see that they're gonna th- they probably ask because the little at symbol they'll probably ask, is that your Twitter name? Because it's great that they're wearing them today. They wore them last night to the Beast Feast. I told them go home for them, and wear them today, because that's what I used to do, in well, high school, college, my whole life before I got married. Anyway, but um. Then I, uh, underneath that, the little hashtags, those are, are, are ways that you can search on phrases in Twitter. So the first one says, these are my church clothes. So that as they're walking around, if one of their friends reads this and happens to ask, are these really what you wear to church? Because the reality is a lot of the youth, there's some that they still have that mindset, I got to go buy a suit and a tie before I walk into the church. And I I would be willing to make us adhere to that if anyone could show it to me in the Bible. But it's not. God says, come as you are. And if someone walks in here in jeans and a T-shirt, God's not going to say, you know, I have some other clothes out there for you and then come back. And then the next line says, what does it say? Uh, Real life, real people, real God, which I am waiting to hear how they explain that. But hopefully I've said it enough to where they'll be able to share it. Uh, with their friends if they ask them, what does that mean? And the, la- the next one says, my church family rocks. And they do. And I guarantee you you probably will not find a lot of youth that have their thought about their church family. Do you guys think your church family rocks? Yeah. Okay, all right. You could say a little bit more energetic. Help me out up here. Yeah. All right, okay. All right. And the last line, last line says, crossroads tech team. And if anyone asks them, why, what, what does that mean, then I guarantee you there's not a lot of congregations where under the age of 16, you'll find that age group running, not assisting with, running the tech team. Sometimes you have glitches like we had this morning when that happens. But you know what? It, it, what would be worse is to say to youth who are willing to say, I'm going to commit to helping out with the Sunday morning celebration and say, you're not good enough. And ask them to leave just because we missed a few slides, or because there's a squelch in the sound. I mean, that doesn't reflect the kingdom. Instead of being the welcoming over here, come, come in, come in, that's the group over here that says our perfection and our excellence is more important than you. And we don't ever want to be the congregation that says that. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I'm really going to freak these guys out. I'm going to ask a couple of the guys to come forward, and we're going to lay hands on them. We're going to pray for them representative of the youth. So if I can get a couple of guys to come up here. Stop shaking. (laughs) Yeah, come on. You guys, come on up. Come on up. I'm not going to ask you to sing. You can come on up. And as they do, I'm going to ask the worship team if you guys can go and just kind of set the mood as we... Begin to pray, and I'm going to ask Christy. Can you go back and turn on the soundboard? Uh, turn on all the instruments. And I know this may seem a little weird or a little strange. No, wait, wait. You move. You guys come up here too. Just part. You guys. Yeah, yeah. Right up here. Up here. Up here. There you go. There you go. And this. It, I, if this is a little weird, trust me. When you get to heaven, it gets weirder because not only is there this this constant state of praying for one another and gathering together, it's by weird creatures and angelic beings, and there's bowing and and raising of hands and all this stuff that, although it may seem weird, God says this is just who we are. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me, and I want to pray for uh, these guys here representing the the youth, and I'm going to put up on the screen this, uh, if I can scroll to it, picture again of, of the churches and, and I know in each of these congregations there's some, some youth and, and some young adults and some of them have committed their life to Christ and that's great some of them are just there because their parents said go and they're waiting until that day when they can say no so I want you guys if you guys can just bow your heads and you guys bow your heads with me God we just lift up to you every single youth and and young adult in this area. We pray for every single one in every one of these congregations. We pray that they wouldn't walk in feeling rejected. God, and we desperately pray that they don't walk in alone. We pray that when they walk in, they experience the love of Christ That they walk into a congregation that doesn't reject them or doesn't judge them. Which extends a hand of fellowship and says, we are so glad you're here. God, we pray for these youth. We pray that when they walk out of these congregations, when they walk out of this place, that they don't forget how awesome you are that they experience your love, they experience your grace, that they know that they can walk in freedom because of what you have done on the cross, that you have removed through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. You have wiped away every sin, that there is absolutely, positively, nothing that separates them from your love. We pray that... Every single day, whether they're taking tests, whether they're at home, whether they're out getting jobs, whether they're playing video games or airsoft or whatever they're doing, that they never have to wonder, is there a God that loves me? That they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt how much you love them. And that they understand that it's not about conforming to the rules and regulations of a church body, but it's just about receiving and being transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. God, and, and we pray now, even though not just for these here, but if they're here and they don't know that love, they've never experienced it, they've never been told that the creator of the universe, the God who spun the stars into existence at the very speaking of his words, if they've never been told, how to have that relationship with you, God. Then we want to share that now. We pray that they would just acknowledge, as your word says, that you are Lord, you do exist, that you showed your love for them by having your son, Jesus Christ, die on the cross to pay the penalty for all the wrongs that they and we have done not just for today, not just for tomorrow, not just for last week, but forevermore, for all eternity, that all those wrongs have been wiped away in God's sight, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for them and proved it by his resurrection, by rising from the dead. And that for us and for them and for all the youth, all the young adults, all the people, that all we have to do is acknowledge, confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, we walk into an awesome eternal relationship with you forever that we then become your beloved and that nothing no person, no thing no situation can take us out of your hands God God we pray that for them we pray that that word is being preached has been preached, will be preached in the days and weeks to come in every one of these congregations create in the matchless and priceless and powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated.